want to just give you a little update. We've been praying for the last several weeks for Mega Sports Camp and for the team that was going to be here and help and, and lead and serve in so many ways. And we just had an incredible week. The conclusion of the service, we've got a video that we'll show you that will uh, kind of give you some behind the scenes for those of you that weren't here every day. But uh, it was just an incredible week. Thank you to so many that prayed and put yard signs and door hangers and made meals and were a part in so many ways. Uh, we couldn't have done it without your involvement, and we so appreciate it. We had a ton of kids running all over this property, and you might still see a football taped on the, a wall of a door or a bathroom stall or something like that. And uh, I was just reminded last night as we were here cleaning, you know, again and more, uh, I was thinking about the verse in the Bible that talks about where there's no oxen, the barns are pretty easy to keep clean. Uh, but I'm thankful that where there's lots of oxen, uh, sometimes there's some messes to clean up. And I was so just grateful last night to be cleaning the church, that, that there was activity and life that had happened here, and there's evidence of that. And, and uh, so it was amazing to see what God did in the lives of the kids and, and also some work projects around the church and our community and in different places. And so it was just a, an incredible week. We're continuing today in our sermon series in the book of James, and we just have three weeks left today and two more, and we're going to be uh, starting in James chapter 4, verse 13. We're actually going to go all the way into the very beginning of James chapter 5 today, and uh, we're, we're looking at some different, uh, different topics here that James is talking about. We have two weeks left after today, and uh, I'm excited to share with you today from James 4 and the beginning of 5. Pastor Hannah is actually going to preach next week, and I can't wait to be here and hear what God uh, does through her, and it's going to be exciting, and so she'll be, uh, she'll be sharing that message with us, and then I'll wrap it up two weeks from now, and it's just been an incredible, um, incredible sermon series through the book of James. One of the things I enjoy about preaching through a book is that it causes me to preach on topics that uh, maybe I wouldn't choose, but it's what God would have for us, and, and some awesome things that we've been able to talk about and discuss for those of you that haven't been with us or need a refresher, really the thesis of the book of James is this. He's saying, let's really do this. Let's, let's really get down to business and not just say that we're going to do it. Let's live out the faith that we say is so important to us. Because the way that we live our faith in the here and now is going to be evident in eternity when all that's left is the fruit of our faith. And when we stand before God one day, God's going to inspect that fruit of our faith and so it's really been all about putting faith into action. It's been about being doers of God's word and not hearers only. In chapter 1, we learned that we put our faith into action when we persevere through the trials of life that we all are going to face. In chapter 2, we learned that we put our faith into action when we choose to fight favoritism and prejudice mindsets and discrimination. Chapter 3, we learned that we put our faith into action when we understand that our tongues can be very powerful. And if we don't keep them tamed and under control, they'll cause us many problems. We learned about receiving God's wisdom that's from above and putting into action by not being polluted by the wisdom of the world. In chapter 4, we learned that we put our faith into action when we surrender to God, when we resist the enemy, when we draw near to God, and when we wash our hands and purify our hearts, and when we experience and extend God's grace to others and just remember this is one one letter that that James is writing it's not really uh, individual topics as much as it's, it's there's a flow to it and so a lot of this is overlapping putting our faith into action 
is really about having the right attitude in whatever situation it is that life brings you. And that's what James is really doing. He's, he's addressing certain topics that he's seen and heard from the churches that he's writing to. But he's going through all these situations and said, you know what, I, I know you're going through this situation, but don't forget to apply God's word in your life to that situation. Don't forget to live out your faith in that situation. Whatever it is that life brings you in your home life, live out your faith in that difficult situation in your home. When you go to work, be sure you're living out your faith when you go to work, in hard times, in good times. And it's not that James is, is picking on poor people when he says, hey, you know what, when you're in humble circumstances, you still got to live out your faith. And it's not that he's picking on rich people, but he says, hey, you know what, when you've been blessed beyond what other people around you are blessed, don't forget, you still have to live out your faith in that situation. And so he's walking through all these things. He's dealing with all these things that he sees in the church. He says, I know you're dealing with these situations, but you have to have the right attitude even when you're facing that. And today we're going to talk about four challenging situations that will test your fortitude in choosing the right attitudes to live out your faith. Attitudes are an amazing thing. I heard a story of a man that remembered a time when his mother sent him out to pick a quart of raspberries. And he dragged himself to the berry patch. He sat there before picking any berries, just throwing some rocks, thinking, my afternoon is completely ruined. It's shot. My whole day gone because I have to pick these stupid raspberries. And you know what? Then as soon as he thought that, a thought occurred to him. What if he surprised his mother instead of picking one quart of raspberries, he picked two? And so rather than drudgery, his work now became a challenge, and he enjoyed picking those raspberries, and he remembered the joy that it brought his mom when he showed up, not with a bad attitude and not with a half a quart of raspberries, saying, that's all I could find, but instead he came with two, more than she'd asked. The incident 50 years later was still fresh in this man's mind. The job hadn't changed. Why? What was different? His attitude had changed. Same job, same situation, same circumstance, but the attitude changed. And the attitude is everything. I said before, hummingbirds and vultures, they, they both fly over the same land. They both see and they focus on different things. Vultures see the dead and dying carcasses of rotting animals. Hummingbirds see colorful blossoms of living plants. Vultures feed on what was and dead things that are gone, but hummingbirds feed on what is and they fill themselves with the freshness of living plants. Each bird finds exactly what it's looking for, and in so many ways, so do we. We find what we're looking for. We find what our attitude will lead us toward. Our attitudes toward serving God and obeying his word matter. Our attitudes toward our family members matter. Our attitudes toward coworkers and supervisors at our work, they matter. All these things matter. In James 4 Verse 13 through 17, I'm going to split up our passage into two parts today. The first part says this, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city, we'll spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So here's some four situations that will test your fortitude in choosing 
the right attitudes. And the first is when it comes to our plans that we make. The plans that we make. Sometimes we think about boasting. We read this scripture and we think about boasting in, in a different way. We think about boasting as making sure that everyone knows all of the impressive things that we've done or bragging on our accomplishments. And that kind of boasting can be a form of pride. But look at how James is talking about boasting and pride in these verses. According to these verses, anytime we talk about our lives or we plan for the future as if we are in total control of our lives, not consulting God's plan, not taking into consideration anything that he would have for us, but we just make our plans absent of him, we're boasting. One of the worst displays of pride that we can demonstrate is pretending that we're the masters of our own destiny, that we are in total control, acting in our own power without consulting the wisdom of God or without seeking his will in our lives. And that's what James is talking about here. I read these verses and I'm a person that likes to plan. I like to know what's going on. I don't like a lot of surprises. I don't like to just, you know, maybe we'll figure it out. I want to know what are we doing at what time, all that kind of stuff. And it really, these verses are not against planning. It's not saying that it's bad to have a plan. The question is, in all of your planning, have you sought the will of the Lord for your life? You can do that six years in advance. You can do that six months in advance, six weeks in advance. You don't have to wait till six seconds in advance. Sometimes we think that relying on the Lord is just flying by the seat of our pants. That's not what it's about. Have you sought the will of the Lord for your life? Are you sensitive what he's wanting to do and the direction that he's wanting to take you in your life. Here's the thing that I've learned. If you're not interested in seeking God's bearing for your life, then you can't expect to see God's blessing in your life. Yeah. We want it both ways in our lives. We want full control of the decision making and we want God to bless our mess and snap his fingers and undo all of our mistakes so that we can take credit for the happy ending. Isn't that right? I'm going to just do it, God. I've got this. I've got it figured out. Okay, it's a mess. Can you help? Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Look how amazing of a job I did. It's not the way it works. The reality is, is that life is too short for us to be in control. The Bible says it's a mist. It's here and it's gone. Life is too short to not allow God to be in control because our reality and the things that we can accomplish by our own ability and separate of him just are not enough. We need God's direction in our lives. The reality is that God gave us the very life that we have. He formed us in our mother's wombs. He knew us before we were born. He has a plan for our lives. He is the master architect of our lives. We can take control from him and we can pretend that we can do a better job, but that would be like taking over a construction job without the blueprints. There's no way that the outcome would be right. It might be okay at best. It's never going to be like the master planned because he's got the plan we have to have the right attitude when it comes to important decisions and directions for our lives the attitude that we have to have is one of humility in contrast to a prideful attitude that says I've got this all figured out but an attitude of humility a humble attitude that says God I only want what you want for my life and I trust that even if it doesn't look like the things I would choose I'm going to trust you with it and the second situation that will test that fortitude is, is very similar, goes hand in hand. He talks about the understanding of our power. We like to ex exercise sometimes veto power 
over the decisions in our lives. So sometimes maybe we do seek God's will for our life. Sometimes we do seek God's direction. God, what would you have me to do? Jonah knew exactly what it was that God wanted him to do. He just didn't want to do it. <laughs> and we're the same way in our lives. James takes the issue with the control of our lives a step further in verse 17 when he says this, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do it and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Well, that seems a little harsh. Well, why should it? It's disobedience to God, and that's what sin is. If God says, this is what I want you to do, this is the decision you need to make, this is the step that you need to take, and we say, yeah, no, veto, I'm good, I'll, I'll go this other way. It's plain and simple, it's disobedience, and it's sin, not in James' eyes, in God's eyes. Veto power. Before democracy arrived in Poland, the country was run by these lords and rich landowners, nobility from all over the country. And they had a senate that was filled with these noblemen that would make decisions for the country. And I say that loosely, make decisions for the country because they actually had a hard time ever getting much done. You know why? Every single member of that senate had veto power. Any one of them could stop any action at any time and did. With one word, they could bring it all to a halt. In America, we only have one man with that much power. That's the president. And some say that his ability to put a veto on any bill is his greatest power. But in our lives, like the Poland Senate used to be run, too often we exercise veto power on things that God wants to do in our lives. And as a result, we don't see any of the things that God desires to have accomplished be accomplished. There's too much veto power that we place in our hands when really in our lives only God should have that ultimate authority in our lives. God and God alone should be the one that makes those decisions. And here's the thing, it's not only prideful for us to try to assume that top level of power, but when we know what God wants us to do and we don't do it, it's not just prideful, it's sinful. It's sinful to overrule the plans that he has for us. If we know the good we're supposed to do and we don't do it, it's sin. So it's not only the planning that can be a situation where we get into it, where we don't have the right attitude of humility saying, God, whatever you want. But it's also when it comes to the power of saying, okay, God, I know what you want, but I'm going to do it my own way. We've got to stop and yield ourselves to God. The third challenging situation that will require us to choose the right attitude is prosperity. Being rich in the right things. I, if I was to ask many of you here today who would like to be rich, not many of you would say, no, it's okay, don't burden me with that. Right? I mean, you know, some of you might say that, but the reality is we, we'd like to try our hand at it, right? James 5, verse 1 through 3 is not a passage of scripture that's going to give you the warm, fuzzy feeling in a good way. I'll just tell you that. In fact, for Americans... It's probably pretty uncomfortable. Here's what it says. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Well, this is exciting. It's an encouraging word for your Sunday. Your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. And we could take offense to this and you may be saying here, well, it doesn't bother me because I'm not wealthy at all. And the reality is, is the poorest person 
in our country is, is doing pretty well compared to people from other places. But here's the thing is, do you know what James is really saying here? He's not really attacking God's blessing or, or provision or the finances that we have. James is saying there's people that are so poor that the only thing they have is a lot of money. And they don't even have the right attitude about that. Mm-hmm. As Americans, our, our world is significantly focused on the bottom line. Our value is tied to what we make and the lifestyle that we live and can provide for our families. And if that is our focus and that's what drives us in life, then our priorities are not in line with the Word of God. If all that our life amounts to is a hoarding of wealth, then we've missed the point of God's plan for our lives. Money isn't what matters most to God. God has all the resources that He needs. What He wants is our hearts. He wants willing hearts that are willing to say, everything that I have is a gift from God and I'm going to use for His purpose. Arriving at the end of my life with a hoard of wealth is not my purpose in this life. It's not a problem for you as a Christian to have money. The problem is when the money has you and when God doesn't have your heart. Having nice things is great if you can afford them, but James is talking to people living in luxury and self-indulgence who at the same time have have failed to pay the wages of workers that have mowed their fields. If you're living beyond your means, then you may feel that you're wealthy, but you're not. You're just in debt. That's all that amounts to. Sometimes you're looking around, and you're jealous and envious and coveting the things that other people around you have, and you need to realize that what you're coveting is not that new car or that bigger house. You're you're coveting a bigger payment than, than you could afford, and probably than they can afford as well. Living within our means is something that's not valued in our culture. We want to stretch it as much as we can. We want to acquire as much as we can, as fast as we can. The younger generations, they want everything that their parents worked a lifetime for in an instant. It's not the way that it works. There's some debt that makes sense and it's common in our culture, but there's other debt that's easy to acquire in our culture that really all it does is make you a slave to work and to payments and keeps you from what God would love to do in and through you. It keeps you from the ability to be generous in your life. It keeps you from the ability to serve God in the ways that he would desire for you to serve him because you're a slave to Visa and MasterCard. It's real quiet in here. I'll move on. I get the hint. I'm, t- I'm dealing with all the hard stuff this week, Pastor Hannah. You, you can be good top next week. As Christ followers, God... God doesn't want us to be rich according to the standard of our culture. He'll bless our faithfulness. If we're faithful with what he has entrusted to us, it's a biblical principle. God will give us more. But God wants us to be rich in the right things. Our riches don't come from hoarding wealth. Our riches don't come from stealing wealth or from living a life of decadence. If being rich in the eyes of the world causes you to be spiritually poor, then God's not going to give you anything because he knows you can't handle it. Our attitude has to be everything I have is God's and I'm simply managing on his behalf and one day I'm going to give an account to him. When we do that and God sees us being faithful in the small things, he gives us more. He gives us more. And and you would do the same thing. Which of you would give someone $100, watch them walk out and blow it on a purpose that you didn't intend and continue to give more and more and more? No. No, you wouldn't do it. And neither does God. Fourth situation in our lives that we have to have the right attitude in is when it comes to people. We're surrounded 
by people that we have to deal with in life. All kinds of different people. Everyone in this room has probably at least one challenging person that you deal with on a regular basis. A person that isn't easy. Some of you are elbowing them right now. <laughs> Sometimes we are the challenging people, right? No one wants to hear that. I've heard people say the church would be great if it weren't for people. I'm glad that God doesn't think that way about heaven. Look what it says in verse 4 of, Matthew, of James chapter 5. Look, the wages you failed to pay to the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived in, on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves up in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. I have a question for you. If your neighbors and your co-workers and the waitress at lunch today and your boss and your landlord, they were all called in as witnesses to testify about your life, what exactly would you be convicted of? Would there be enough evidence of your faith in action that they would be able to convict you of being a doer of God's word and not only a hearer? Because there's all kinds of people that we interact with. There's all kinds of opportunities that we have. James talks about the ways that his audience has treated people. He talks about the workers who've worked on their behalf, who failed to be paid. He says that the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And while living in luxury and self-indulgence, they've condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing them. God's people should be known for how well they treat the people that are around them. We should be the ones that leave the best tips for our servers at restaurants, not the ones that are known for being the crowd that tips the worst. He talks about workers who've worked on your behalf that have failed to be paid. Maybe you don't have people mowing fields for you, but maybe they're refilling your tea today at lunch. God's people should be generous, not just with God, but also with others. What kind of testimony is it to people around us if we fail to pay our bills? We fail to treat people well. Why would, what, what, what does that say about God's blessing in our lives? We should care about the innocent that are being condemned and murdered wrongfully. Being pro-life isn't just about life in the womb, but it should be concerned about all life in our society. And there's, there's causes that we should be taking up and defending those lives. James makes it clear that too many times God's people have the wrong attitudes when it comes to the treatment of other people. Jesse, if you want to come and just begin to play softly. Two weeks ago, we talked about giving the same grace that we get. How can we say that, that we are putting faith into action when we aren't willing to extend grace to people around us? This is just a continuation of, of his thought on that. Mm -hmm. There's people in our lives, challenging people, difficult people, people that are going to cause us frustration and headaches. <coughs> One day they'll stand before God for their attitudes and their actions, but you also, I will also stand before God for the way that we've treated those people. I wonder today, where do you struggle the most with these four challenging situations. Some of you, these situations are easy. Some of you, you have, you, you've never met a stranger, a person that you can't love. People isn't your area. But if you're honest, when it comes to the control situation, mm -hmm. you struggle surrendering God control of your life. 
We talked two weeks ago about the need to surrender to God, and Ethan mentioned it, really all, all of these things in our lives. Being doers of God's word and not hearers only, it all comes down to the issue of surrender. Are we fully surrendered to, the, to, the, to, to God to the point that we're willing in every one of these areas and other areas of our lives? Are we surrendered to God to the point that in every area of our lives, we're willing to have an attitude that says, you know what? My faith needs to be what guides me in this situation. God's word speaks to this situation. And it's difficult. It's challenging. For those of you that, that, that struggle with the control issue and, and allowing God to be in the captain's seat, it's, it's a challenge. I understand that. Do you trust God enough to say, God, whatever it is that you have for me, whatever door it is that you want me to walk through, whatever change it is that you're wanting to make in my life, I trust you enough. I'm going to consult you with the big decisions in my life. Some people struggle with that. Some of you don't even talk to your wife about big decisions in your life, let alone God. Both of those should change. Maybe it's the, the, that power position in your life. Saying, okay, I talk to God and I hear God, but sometimes he's just, I got to be missing. I must not be understanding because there's no way that God would ask me to do that. I just, I can't do it. You're exercising that veto power over God's plans and decisions in your, in your life. You're choosing to hear God's voice and say, yeah, that's bad pizza. I'm walking the other way. And I'm not saying that it's always easy to know what God's speaking to us. That's why you need to have Christian people in your life and, and people that will give you godly counsel and wisdom. You need to make sure that what God speaks to you lines up with his word. But when it does, you've got to be ready to obey, even when it doesn't make sense. We see in part, we see in just a little part, but God sees it all. We don't see the beautiful thing that's coming out of the situation that we're having to walk through. But God knows not only where we are, but where he's leading us to. We may be thinking, God, why in the world would you ask me to do that? Why would you ask me to move there? Why would you ask me to accept that job? Why would you? It's because you're only looking at yesterday and God's looking at tomorrow. He's wanting to take you somewhere. Maybe it's the issue of prosperity and being rich in the right things. Whatever it is that you have that you're entrusted with, big or small, you're going to give an account to God for, for those things in your life. God's really simply looking for faithfulness and he'll bless faithfulness with increase. Maybe that's an area of your life that you've struggled surrendering to him, trusting God and the things that you have. Maybe a fear or anxiety about the future, hoarding up more than you need today because you're concerned about a lack for tomorrow. Once again, it comes back to surrendering and trusting of God. God, I trust you with my future. I trust you with my future. I don't have to hoard and save and cheat and, and fail to pay the wages to the workers that I owe because I'm concerned about tomorrow because I trust you that you're going to be here for me today. You've been there for me in the past. You're going to be there for me tomorrow. Trusting God with that prosperity issue in our lives. And maybe people is your issue. Maybe, maybe you struggle with certain kinds of people with how to respond people and how to treat people in your life. 
What would those people that know you the best say about you? What kind of witness would they give about your life? What have, have they seen in you? Your family, your friends, your coworkers, the waitress at lunch today. What do they know about your life? What attitude have you demonstrated to them? Has it been an attitude that shows that your faith is in action? Or just the opposite of that? We're Americans. We like to, to demand our rights and fight for our rights. That's who we are. A lot of other places in the world, they don't have those rights. They don't care about those rights. They're not concerned about those rights. They just kind of more concerned about community. But as Christians, what comes first is not our rights. We submit our rights and say, you know what, I'm going to live a life that may be completely contrary and in opposition to the way that everyone around me is living their lives, but I'm going to submit myself to God, even, even if it means turning the other cheek. I'm going to do it. I'm going to live that out. Will you stand with me all over this place today? I want us to, to just conclude this message in this way. I, I don't know what God's speaking to you. I have to think God's speaking to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And it really all boils down to are you surrendered to God in every area of your life? So I want us just to, to conclude just singing this song. Many of you know it. Just a simple declaration of, God, I surrender it all to you. Every area, all my rights, everything that I have, Trusting you with the future, trusting you with the plans that you're going to make, trusting you with the decisions that are coming up, trusting you when you're asking me to do something that doesn't seem like it makes any sense at all. God, I just surrender all those things to you, and I trust you, and I'm determined to be a doer of your word, not just a hearer. I'm going to put my faith into action. I'm going to live what I believe. Come on, let's just declare that to God today.
For some of you, it's been a while since you've heard that song, and it brings back memories of a time and a place where you laid it all down. So easy to pick it back up, though, and want that control. There's a reason that Jesus said that those who follow him must take up their cross daily and follow him. Because it's not just a one-time or a once-upon-a-time act of surrender. It's a daily act of surrender that says, my rights have been violated. That person did me wrong. I'm going to surrender it to God and love that person anyways. Ah, uh, the future is uncertain. Stark market looks good now, but they're saying it's going to take a fall. I don't know. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to put him first in every area of my life. I'm going to live out the faith that I have because I'm fully surrendered and I'm fully surrendering to God. Lord, I pray that that would be our response, Lord, in every area of our life, that our attitude would reflect a heart that's surrendered to you. God, whether it comes to plans or to people or to finances in our lives, whatever it is, Lord, that we would just trust you. Trust you in every area of our families and our lives. Trust you with work and future and these uncertainties and all those things. Lord, that you would just be first in our lives. That we would submit ourselves humbly to you, acknowledging that you have never failed us and that you never will, that you're, you're, the, you're there for us. You care about the details of our lives. You're working things together for our good. We may not be able to see it. We may not understand. But Lord, help us to trust the wisdom that comes from you in every area of our lives. I thank you so much for who you are and all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Our ushers are going to come and help us to put into practice what we've just talked about. We're going to put God first in our lives today through our giving. And we mentioned it last week, but uh, if you'd like to give toward our back-to-school giveaway, we are collecting school supplies this week. So many of you brought school supplies today, and that's incredible. On August the 10th, we're giving away, our goal is 100 backpacks filled with school supplies. So if you'd like to bring school supplies by this week, or if you want to bring them next Sunday, you can. Or if you just like to give towards that, we can order them on bulk, in bulk off of Amazon uh, as well and, and do it that way. We just need to do that uh, sooner rather than later because the 10th is coming up when we 11, 12 days away from that. So we want to get all that together. We want to bless our community in a big way. And this room was packed just a couple days ago uh, full of, of kids and families that normally don't attend this church. And we were able to share with them, hey, come back on August 10th. We'd love to provide backpacks and school supplies. And we'd love to do other things. If you know of people that uh, can do haircuts that day, we'd love to do free haircuts. We're going to fire up our grill and give away hamburgers and hot dogs. So we need some people that want to come serve on the grill. We're going to give away snow cones and have the inflatable. And I was talking to these guys uh, about doing live music and maybe we're going to have a, uh, I don't know what's going to end up, but we talked about some jazz or some bluegrass or some music out there that would be awesome. We just, whatever you know, that, that you know, if there's people from Avision Center that want to come and do health screenings or anything like that, we want to just partner with everybody in our community that wants to, and uh, we're going to do this back to school giveaway, and it's going to be an incredible way for us to just give back to our community. And so if you'd like to give toward that, you could put back to school on there or whatever. You can do it online, um, however you want to do, or bring school supplies or backpacks next week. We'd love to uh, 
to do that. And then we need all hands on deck to help us on the 10th to make that happen. Everybody can, can do something. Uh, we've got a spot for you, so let us know. It'll be from 10 o'clock in the morning till about noon as we'll be serving outside. And then at noon, we'll bring everybody in that's already registered and all that kind of stuff. We'll give away those backpacks and school supplies. And it'll be over before, you know, even... It's amazing how long it takes to assemble and acquire 100 backpacks and school supplies and how quickly you can give those away. It's like Christmas. It's awesome. So it's going to be great. God, thank you so much for your blessing in our lives. There's so many of us that don't consider ourselves rich, but God, we're rich in you. We're so thankful that you've entrusted us with those things that you have entrusted us with. And Lord, one area of surrendering to you is just putting you first in our finances and saying, God, that doesn't make sense in the wisdom of the world to give 10% of everything I have to you. But God, through your wisdom, it does. And you bless us with increase and more. And so God, I just thank you for those who faithfully and in obedience to your word, put you first in their lives and their finances. God, I pray that you would reward, that you would give increase, that you would see their faithfulness. And Lord, you would bless them as a result of it. Lord, thank you that we get to be a blessing to our community. Thank you for the vision that you've given to this church to reach out to serve others. Lord, we pray that the backpack giveaway and all the finances and, and supplies that are brought in would just be multiplied and be a special blessing to those families in our community that are in need, and that we can, in doing so, share the love of Christ with them. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give that today.